0: Coming up on the Sark Fighter podcast.
1: I had shortness of breath, but severe joint pain. It was like walking and putting pressure on my feet all of a sudden was extremely painful.
0: Susan Bassey was doing conservation work on the Delaware Bay when pain suddenly shot through all her joints.
1: And I just had trouble getting out of my car. I hurt so bad. And he's looking at me like I can't even stand up straight. And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I have no idea.
0: Coming up, Susan talks about the search for a diagnosis and how Sark has made her once active life almost impossible.
1: This is the Sark Fighter Podcast. Living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin.
0: Hello and welcome. This is episode 31 of the Sark Fighter podcast. I'm your host, John Carlin. This uh, podcast is brought to you in part by a grant from A Tire Pharma. And you can hear an interview with Sanjay Shukla, the CEO at A Tire, on episode 17 of the Sark Fighter podcast. There will be a link in the show notes. I do this podcast to offer fellow Sark fighters, Sark warriors, a little bit of hope. And later in 2021, the effectiveness of a new drug by Atire will be coming into a clearer view as clinical trials evolve. And if they live up to their promise, that would certainly be a reason for hope. The official Sark Fighter song is Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, The White Hot Lizards. You can hear Mark's story the story behind the lyrics in episode 12. He, as I said, is a a fellow Sark warrior. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark, you're fighting Sark, whether you're a patient, a caregiver, or a research, and that's what it's all about. This is a place where we can all gather. People feel like they are alone. I hear that over and over and over. Even people who live in populated states will say, I never met anybody else who had sarcoidosis and now I can at least listen to what their lives are like or what people are doing to work on my problem and so that is that's what this podcast is is all about and normally I release every other Monday and I can tell by watching my stats that you all are looking for these uploads because those Mondays are by far the uh, most listened to days for the Sark Fighter podcast so so thank you for that. A couple of thoughts. If you're looking for back episodes, you've just stumbled onto the podcast through a Google search or a search with your uh, whatever podcasting app you use. Um, If you're trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, Please consider listening to my interview with Dr. Simon Hart in Episode 2. That is a very popular podcast, and he goes over sarcoidosis 101. You want to know more about me? My story is Episode 1. If you want to know the backstory to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research... Check out episode 11 with our founders, Andrea and Redding Wilson. Andrea is a Sark fighter. And there is also a new group out there called Stronger Than Sark, created by Frank Rivera, Cheryl Bradford, and Kerry Wong, uh, and a couple of other people. But I mentioned their names because I know them, and they have already appeared here on the Sark Fighter podcast, and they are doing some great work and some of the most active Sark patients I know who are out there uh, doing great things to uh, promote understanding of sarcoidosis and, and doing lots lots and lots of good things to help their fellow patients. Now, before we get into today's interview with Susan Bassey, uh, I want to cover a couple of things. April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month, and I'll be doing a special episode just on the month and all that FSR is doing to help promote awareness of the disease, uh, and and also, of course, a little bit of fundraising as well. But let me just give you an overview of some of the things I already know about that are happening in April. So first of all, throughout the entire month, be looking for something called Steps for SARC. And I'll just read the blurb to help celebrate April Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. FSR will be hosting our first virtual step and fundraising challenge. We want to complete 9 million steps or 4,500 miles to raise awareness for sarcoidosis worldwide and raise $25,000 for crucial sarcoidosis research initiatives and patient support programs. So you'll be hearing a lot more about that uh, through FSR. Watch your email, watch your social media, and I'll be doing a special podcast that will include a further discussion of that. Don't forget, April 13th is World Sarcoidosis Day, and we'll be uh, having a, a virtual town, so to speak, join the FSR staff and patient advocates, of which I am one, as we host a celebration and networking event that'll include trivia stories and much more. So that's April 13th. More about that coming up. April 17th, FSR Sark Social, Fostering Growth and Resilience, the FSR Sark Social's patient led networking opportunities for the sarcoidosis community to create networks of support with FSR's members from all over the world. Uh, So life with sarcoidosis, as we all know, is full of setbacks. It's full of renegotiating what you can and cannot do anymore and having a mindset focused on growth, which will change everything. So please join FSR patient advocate Trina Massey Davis as she shares her story on April 17th. Uh, Also on April 17th, let's eat cooking nutrition and, and cooking and nutrition class. Uh, Food is fuel for the body and soul, and FSR will be hosting our first-ever nutrition education and cooking class. We will be learning together and cooking together friendly recipes that are SARC-friendly, and I'll be talking a little bit more about uh, an advanced diet that I'm trying to sort of reduce inflammation in my body, and I'll get to that in just a moment. That's not related to what's going on on, uh, on April 17th, but wow, um, I'm so glad that we're starting to look at diet and the anti-inflammatory diet, because in my mind, that is a big way to tackle what we all have in addition to uh, taking the often dreadful medications that we have to take to control SARC. April 26, Memorial Monday Candlelight Vigil. FSR will be hosting our first Memorial Monday Candlelight Vigil to honor and remember those we lost to sarcoidosis, to celebrate the event, FSR has partnered with a, Campbell com- a candle company called Sense of Adventure to help celebrate life. And Sense of Adventure has made a custom candle for the event and will donate a portion of the candle proceeds back to FSR. I'll put a link to more information on all of these, including that, with, uh, within the show notes. And I am assuming, but I'm not positive, that that will uh, lead you to more information about purchasing a candle if you're interested. And then uh, a couple of other things, real quick. uh, The date is still TBD. Ask the experts on INSPIRE, FSR hosting a week long online educational opportunity for patients to have their questions answered by a leading expert in the field. Uh, Each day, the experts will be answering questions on different topics, led by the multidisciplinary team from FSR and WASOG, the Center for Excellence at at, uh, National Jewish Health. And then on April 27th, I believe is the firm date now, stay tuned, but I believe it is, there'll be a town hall on steroids and sarcoidosis. Raise your hand if you hate prednisone, or at least if you have a love-hate relationship with it. So FSR will be hosting a town hall to discuss the impact of steroids on patients and the need for more steroid-sparing agents, so how can we fix the problem without resorting to prednisone, and I... I'm pleased to say that FSR has asked me to be the moderator of that, Uh, and it will also include a patient speaker, a physician speaker, and an industry representative. And as of right now, uh, the industry representative, I've just learned, will be Sanjay Shukla from ATIRE. So uh, there'll be more information about that coming up, but I'm so pleased that they've asked me to be the moderator, uh, which is kind of within my normal skill set as a television news anchor. I moderate, moderate lots of political debates and so forth, and and that's just something that's kind of right in my wheelhouse, and so any way I can help them, I'm, I'm happy to do that. I know I'm going on a bit here before the interview today, but I'll have links to everything I just mentioned for Sarcoidosis Awareness Month in April in the show notes. Now, I have just finished a weekend-long virtual conference For FSR advocates, who are those of us who have volunteered to sort of help advance the cause through uh, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, and every year we have a weekend of training, and I'm just coming off of that weekend. I'm uh, recording this on March 24th of 2021, by the way. And so, just a couple of takeaways: Um, we are reaching out. Some SARC uh, advocates are reaching out to help other uh, patients and navigate their way through the disease and so there was a lot of uh, a lot of energy with with our patient navigators talking about you know some of the different challenges that they face or that they hear that patients are facing and a lot of people are still having trouble finding doctors and finding solutions that uh, no one else has answers to because even folks like you'll hear with Susan Bassey who's in the podcast today she lives in New Jersey uh, not the most populated part of New Jersey but certainly an area that's closer to major medical centers than much of the country and she had a hard time finding the right doctor finding a doctor that could help her with sarcoidosis and that continues to be a problem and i heard that over and over from the advocates who are are probably a couple of steps down the road beyond the quote unquote average sarc patient who's you know not following um, maybe the disease from 20,000 square feet the advocates tend to be leaned in a little bit more Looking at at the different things that are going on with the disease beyond their own situations, and even for them, it has been difficult. So, uh, and then the other thing that I've heard mentioned over and over uh, was people having difficulties with their insurance companies. Even people that know how to get through this are getting pushed back, and I've gotten a lot of pushback myself. Uh, Humera is something that uh, is not always prescribed and is not an automatic prescription when it comes to sarcoidosis. And insurance companies will reject it until you uh, appeal a couple of times. So um, the the SARC advocates are there to help you sort of navigate that. And then we we talked a lot about uh, some people who've developed some expertise in that. And so that was just a couple of things that that came out of my weekend. So um, again, how frustrated People can be with their doctors. Another thing I heard, firing your doctor is okay. And to keep firing doctors until you find the one who gets it. Don't waste your time. Don't spin your wheels. Don't have someone tell you to just get over it. Don't have someone tell you it's all in your head. Go find someone who takes what you have seriously and also understands what sarcoidosis can do in your body and what the side effects of these drugs can be for sarc patients. So um, that was that was something I heard a lot. Um, and uh, know that even there even though there are SARC centers of excellence, the foundation is now starting to review some of those. There are criteria that these medical facilities need to meet in order to be considered a center of excellence. And uh, we didn't talk about it a lot, but I heard some of the people from the foundation saying, we're we're going to be going through an extensive review of all of those uh, in the next year or so. So uh, look for maybe some changes there, whether they reach out and say, hey, if you want to continue to be a center of excellence, you are lacking in this area or that area, or you know what, um, you're not really doing. You don't have, for instance, maybe a doctor who is a generalist with sarcoidosis that people can reach out to. You might have the specialists, but you don't have the generalist, or you might have the generalist, and you don't have the specialist. So most of us, have, have to have somebody who understands sarcoidosis and then using myself as an example, I have neurosarc, so I need to see a neurologist as well. So when I go to Cleveland, I have the option of doing both. And so that, that's one of the things that I looked for in a center for excellence. And the other thing I learned was how the foundation spends its money on research. Because they, they don't throw it Willy nilly at just any old buddy who may have something that might help sarcoidosis. Uh, a lot of the money is is put towards what I would call tweener, as an in, in between. Um, uh, it's it's tweener. It's it's it is um, too risky for big pharmaceutical companies to get on board. They're going to go where the risk is is lessened and they're more likely to get a return on their investment. But it's also research that would be too expensive for the original researcher to advance it. So rather than let an idea sit on the shelf, the foundation goes in and says, well, let us help you along and let's see if that isn't an idea that we can get to the next level where then a pharmaceutical company doesn't doesn't see so much risk in it and then they can come in and investors can come in and then we can move something down the road very interesting conversation about how those decisions are made for the millions of dollars that FSR has raised over the last 20 years and how it's invested and and who and where that help goes so, um, anyway, I just wanted to share that from the past weekend because you know it was a long weekend, and we finally had the first beautiful weekend in March. It was kind of making me chafe a little bit to be sitting inside when I have uh, some uh, kind of fun yard work to do at this time of year. And then uh, also I was just itching to get out, get on my bicycle. And uh, I did manage to get out a little bit. But um, I, I wanted to share that with you because I don't like it just landing on my notepad and then and then everybody doesn't benefit from it. So those are some of my takeaways. All right. And then very quickly... Um, I had shared with you in my last episode that I am on something called uh, an elimination diet, which I learned about through Ryan Norenberg, who I interviewed uh, here on the Sark Fighter podcast. There's a link in the show notes. And episode 27, his wife, Lindsay, uh, became certified as a clinician, a dietitian and she helped him, and he's doing great, and she agreed to help me try and find those foods that might be inflammatory in my diet. And so unfortunately, I went through three weeks of basically eating organic chicken and vegetables, uh, eating clean, uh, no processed food to speak of, and not having a lot of fun with my diet, not having any candy, no no dairy, no sugar, no gluten, basically no grains. And now I've done numerous new Zoom calls with Lindsay, and I am now in the process of slowly adding back things to see if my body has a reaction. So after three weeks, supposedly, everything has been cleaned out, and now I can test something. So yesterday, the day before, I added a little bit of gluten back in uh, in the form of a tortilla, a flour tortilla, twice during the day on Monday. And yeah, I woke up Tuesday, and I had really bad brain fog. Now, it could have been something else, so I'm going to sit back on that and I'm making notes in a diary, and I'm going to avoid. I'm going to continue to avoid gluten and processed flour for a little while, and see if when I try it again, if I wake up with brain fog the next day. Um, if that continues to happen, I will know that um, that that that's not something that should be in my diet. Today, I'm adding bananas back. I had a banana in my smoothie this morning. Uh, Now, three or four hours later, I feel just fine. I'll have a banana again later for lunch, and we're going to see how I feel. And so if that works, then guess what? Yay, John, I can have bananas again. Uh, And so I'm just going along, and I'm going to check those things off uh, and see, see how things go. So no conclusions yet, but I wanted to let you know that one of the things I hear over and over from people who come on the podcast is, man, I wish that someone could point me in the direction of a diet that has some promise of working. Uh, I'm not willing to give everything up if it's not going to work and doctors will tell you, don't worry about it. There's nothing that you can do with your diet, but other people have had success and other people believe that inflammation comes from food. And since we're all suffering from inflammation, uh, I don't think, is a huge loop, leap of faith to at least try it, to at least reach out. And so I've kind of agreed to make myself the uh, guinea pig in this case. And Lindsay has been very gracious to donate her services. It's nourished by Lindsay. Uh, it's uh, It'll be in the show notes. Uh, she is now taking paid clients. Uh, but uh, I have found her to be wonderful and insightful and knowledgeable and compassionate and uh, she hasn't asked me to plug her uh, her services. But, uh, you know, I certainly would say if this is something that you're interested in, reach out to Nourish by Lindsay. She's got a great website. And, and again, there'll be a link in the show notes. Uh, she, she did not ask me to promote that in return for the services. Uh, I am actually her first non-family client. So uh, she's learning from me and I'm learning from her. Okay. I've talked way too much about me. Today's episode is with Susan Bassey. Susan was active. She was a runner, cyclist. Hiker. Uh, she, she was even a snow plow driver. Uh, she was a person who lived an extremely active life. And as an outdoor person, one day she was volunteering. She was working with horseshoe crabs, which are these kind of crazy prehistoric-looking crabs with this long tail, and they can get turned over in the surf and die. And so volunteers go out and turn them back over because they're very important to the ecosystem, everything from their eggs being eaten by seagulls to you know, small fish or, you know, or whatever. They're just, they're they're a critter that's really important to how things work. And so she was volunteering to turn them back over, and she had found a day where there were hundreds of them who'd been turned over from something that went on in the ocean. And so she's down the beach, and all of a sudden, she had this strange pain in her joints, and she could barely get back to her car. Now, and this was a woman who at the time thought nothing of a 10-mile hike. So uh, she would eventually battle through. She was looking for doctors where she nears where she lives in that densely populated state of New Jersey. Eventually, she would learn that it's sarcoidosis. And even with treatment, she's now been forced into retirement. And she has had to reimagine her life. And she's going to talk about that. So coming up, my interview with Susan Bassey here on the Sark Fighter Podcast. Just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. A hundred percent of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter Podcast, and joining me now is Susan Bassey. Uh, she is a fellow Sark Fighter and uh, joins us today from her home in New Jersey. Welcome, Susan.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah. So you um, have uh, pulmonary SARC, am I correct?
1: Yes. Right now, that's my primary diagnosis is pulmonary SARC. I'm looking at other issues as well, but
0: all right. Well, we'll get into that in, here in, in just a little bit. Um, first of all, I want to thank you because you are also uh, an advocate for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, doing your volunteer work, and, and you and I serve on some committees together. So this isn't the first time we've spoken. Uh, so thank you for for all your hard work volunteering for FSR. It's definitely
1: um, been an educational experience for me. I'm learning a lot through volunteering. So, you know, not just helping, but also I believe it's helping me learn more about sarcoidosis and needs of other patients as well.
0: Yeah. Do you find that when you're uh, when you're talking to other patients and, and seeing what other people are going through that um, sort of normalizes what's a terrible situation for you?
1: Absolutely. And it's one of the things that... Um, that I was looking for and looking for support groups, um, and information myself, hearing what other people are experiencing really does normalize it. I think, Oh no, that's exactly what I'm going through. And, you know, sometimes you're not sure what symptoms are related to sarcoid or what are related to other things. And it's very confusing disease.
0: Yeah, there, there you go. So let's, let's uh, tell the listeners a little bit about your situation. So maybe we can normalize somebody else's life. You um, how long have you had sarc?
1: I actually started having major symptoms in 2016. Um, As I look back at it now, I believe I started having, having symptoms around 48, 49 years old but I had asthma and allergies all of my life. So that kind of masked this diagnosis for me for a long time. You know, we were just looking at as I'm aging, maybe my asthma was getting worse and the symptoms weren't responding to the meds correctly.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And then all of a sudden something must have happened that you, you pushed past that uh, sort of not misdiagnosis, but misinterpretation of what was happening.
1: Actually, it was a strange. I've heard other people's stories that were really strange, like they're just, you know, out exercising and doing things. And then all of a sudden one day and that was what happened with me. Basically, Um, I was doing volunteer work and I I do I for several agencies back then before I got sick, And one of them is with New Jersey Wildlife um, and game and it's called Return to Favor and we actually go out to the beaches during, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, horseshoe crabs at all. Oh,
0: Absolutely, I've I've kept them in an aquarium.
1: Yeah, well, and so they're very important to shorebirds and migration, they're laying their eggs and they feed all of these birds and they're also great for medical studies. So, you know, um, they're trying to preserve them. So we actually go out during timed uh, tides and we reflip them, the ones that get flipped over under their back and try to save some lives. Um, That was one of the little things that I was doing. And I was out at a very isolated beach. It's like at least three quarters of a mile out on the Bay shore here in the Delaware Bay. And this particular day, I went out there and it, it looked like a landmine went off. There were thousands of these crabs. And uh, there were so many, I turned over 600 and some crabs that one morning. Wow. I mean, it was just crazy. And I only did a small part of the beach. Usually I could cover the whole beach. This is unusual. So I started to head back to my car because we're only allowed on the beach during certain hours during migratory bird um, situations. So, and all of a sudden I just, had shortness of breath, but severe joint pain. It was like walking and putting pressure on my feet. All of a sudden was extremely painful. And I'm like, I, I had to sit down three times on the way back to my car, trying and just going really slow. And it was just out of the blue. I had like no symptoms while I was working doing this. And it was just all of a sudden. Um, I came home, I remember pulling into the yard and my husband was outside and I just had trouble getting out of my car. I hurt so bad. And he's looking at me like, I can't even stand up straight. And he's like, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, and that was really the beginning of my first major symptoms, um, you know, the breathing, I, again, you know, was assuming that I might be having an asthma attack, but the joint inflammation that hit me, it was just, I just can't even explain it to anybody. I have no idea. And I'm such an exerciser and, um, you know, biking, hiking, kayaking, that to me, walking three quarters of a mile each way was not a big deal. I would have never struggled with that, you know? Right. that was really as silly as it sounds. The onset of having major symptoms of it that interfered with um, my productivity. And so those
0: those symptoms those symptoms are not consistent with anything I've ever heard associated with sarcoidosis. What what? How did you get from that day to diagnosis?
1: Well, it was actually a year over a year. And then my pulmonologist, um, well, it's a long story. I kept getting more symptoms is what Uh happened. You know, I started with that. And then, you know, it it sort of cleared up a bit. You know, the joint pain, you know, it subsided. And then I started, I I developed a rash. Um, So I'm seeing all these different doctors for different things, you know, I'm going to the dermatologist for the rash, the, you know, rheumatologist or the orthopedic person to see what's going on with the pain. Um, and when a lot of the joint pain subsided, I know it's a really odd symptom too, but I had uh, heel and ankle pain on, especially my right foot. Hmm. They're saying fasciitis, plantar fasciitis, you know, I have so many diagnoses from that period of time. I was even in a boot for my foot for like eight weeks trying to because nothing worked for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then I started um, that summer with low grade fevers and this extreme fatigue. Um, and it, it just kept progressing for me, I just kept going downhill, my eyes were inflamed. Um, I was coughing and congested short of breath. Um I had, my airway was irritated and I have this hoarseness that I still have. Um, It made it very difficult for me to work. Um, I was doing part-time outpatient therapy. So you do a lot of talking, obviously, during therapy. And I kept really running out of steam with that. And I was just some days, I couldn't even some days walk through a store. I was in such pain with joints and my foot So let me see. They treated me for Lyme's disease. I had two rounds of being treated for Lyme's because I had, um, I did have a positive for Rocky Mountain spotted fever come up. I did have... A high C4 level on my uh, blood work. And my doctor felt that, you know, that could be indicative of some lines at the time,
0: which would be consistent with a New Jersey B being yes. out in, you know, nature all the time Absolutely. where you could get bit by a tick. Yeah. So all that's consistent. All right, right. Why not?
1: So I did feel better after my first round of doxy. I took that doxycycline for a month and then I felt better. Um, for a couple of weeks, and then the fever came back again, and then the, all the symptoms and the fatigue, and the, you know, and in a couple of months, she treated me again of a couple of weeks of it for, you know, maybe a reflare of the lines, she's saying. And then, and then it was, they were worried about maybe I had mold exposure, and it went, I really, you know, have covered the gambit with it. I've even been to an infectious disease at one of the major hospitals here in New Jersey. And um, they were it was fibromyalgia, you know, and they were sure that within a year, or a year and a half, I would be fine, just take a antidepressant to help with the pain. But then, you know, fibromyalgia doesn't involve your lungs. And I was like, this can't be it. You know, I, I don't think that's the answer. So, you know, My pulmonologist, finally, I had a really bad year that year. And in the winter, I had um, some fluid in my lungs and I was really struggling all winter. And they went in and did a bronchioscope and, you know, they had seen that I had some nodules um, in my lungs. And um, he was, I asked if he would do a biopsy when he was in and he was going to try that, but he felt that the location of the nodules was very iffy and that he might puncture a lung doing it. So he didn't want to do that. Um, but he did say that he felt my symptoms were consistent with sarcoidosis. So they did start on, um, methotrexate, pregnazone, of course. Yeah. And, you know, there we went into treatment. I was referred to a rheumatologist, um, to follow for that. And how much
0: prednisone, how many milligrams do you remember?
1: It was low. I, well, I had many doses of it that year that I was sick because they gave it to me for everything, the rash, for my lungs, you know, so I was on sure. probably six doses starting. We, he started usually for my lungs when they were bad, it was 60. Yeah. And they would start at and yeah. then titrate me down for other things that would be 40 and they'd titrate me down. And then they kept me on only 10. Um, they were trying to keep me low um, when I was taking the methotrexate and see how that did. And if I needed more, they would increase it.
0: How did you do with the methotrexate?
1: terribly. I yeah. I took the pill and that bothered, I have intestinal issues, you know, as well. I've had IBS over the years and that just inflamed that. So then I went to the injection, but for me, I'd have three days of feeling not well after the injection. I'd have maybe two, two and a half days of feeling a little better in the middle. And then I'd start feeling not good when it was getting time for the injection again. So, you know, I did that for about six to nine months. I tried mm. to stay on that that routine as best I could. And um I have to say, you know, being on the pregnant zone did help my joints, obviously. Uh-huh. And it helped you, you know, even a low dose for me helps me feel more normal, you know.
0: Uh-huh. And did you get the moon face and all the other things that
1: I didn't because I didn't stay on those high doses. I think wow. that helped. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I can tolerate 10. And it doesn't seem, uh, of course, I didn't sleep well still with the 10. Mm-hmm, I was having right. trouble with that. Yeah. Um, and the normal side effects. So in about, you know, around eight months or so, I talked to my rheumatologist and I said, you know, I think I'm doing a little better and I'd really like to come off of this for a while and see how I do. Um, mm-hmm. You know, at that point, I wasn't even 60 yet and staying on Pregnizone for long periods of time, I had read about that and um, was really nervous being that young, starting and staying on it. So we did that, but of course I felt good for a little while and then my symptoms flared again. And not that they wouldn't have, you know, flare from time to time, but all that fall and that winter, I was um, sick with the lung involvement again and the the, um, airway involvement. So I guess it was um, winter of 2017, I finally got into Penn because I had tried, um, there's Rutgers here in North Jersey that said they had a Sarkway clinic. And I reached out to them several times and they never even got back to me. Really? Really, you know, never responded. I tried for months to get in somewhere. There's just not a lot here in South Jersey. We have nobody that specializes with sarcoid at all. So, the,
0: And the rest of the world is looking at you saying you're in New Jersey, all those people packed together. You must have more medical care than the whole world.
1: If I were in North Jersey, I would have had a better shot at it. But Got down you. here, so I, like I said, I went to a really good hospital to infectious disease. And then I ended up over um, in Philly at Penn for rheumatology to follow me with the diagnosis of sarcoid. Right. When Uh, you
0: say Penn, that's the University of Pennsylvania.
1: University of Pennsylvania. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: And, you know, it just, I ended up finding someone there, a rheumatologist that specialized with them for sarcoidosis. And then they have a pulmonologist who also worked with him. So I eventually um, moved into their practice and, that winter, I was having a really rough time again with my breathing, so they did get me in for a bronchioscope, and they biopsied everything, lymph nodes because my lumps swell, and. Um,
0: right. You know. So, all right. So let let me let me just ask you this. So that was twenty. It started out in twenty sixteen with the horseshoe crabs, and then everything right. sort of progressed as you as you described. And you said you weren't even 60 yet. So you are, are you just 60 now or 61 or I'm
1: 60, 61 now?
0: 61. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, yeah. you got me by a year. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, half a year at least. So, um, and you told me as we started this interview that you're still having a tough time. Are you in the midst of a flare or is this your normal?
1: It's almost my normal. I have le- I have less non-flared time than I do flared. So I'm again considering because I've tried a couple of other things. I've tried a briefly, but I started developing upper respiratory infections. So they took me off of that. Um, I'm I'm considering maybe going back on methotrexate um, again and trying to knock this down because I feel like it's impacting other areas of my body. I mean, I have had other inflammatory issues as well. I have interstitial cystitis, which is, um, it's an inflammatory disorder of the bladder. So I get inflamed and in significant pain with that. And um, they've been diagnosing me with SIBO and um, IBS, but now they're wondering if it's not the sarcoid in my intestines as well. So, you know, and then I've just started a cardiac workup because I started having, some really racing heartbeat associated with dizziness and um, difficulty breathing that my inhaler doesn't actually fix. (laughs) So,
0: so, I mean, even, even your bladder, and of course, you know, I'm no medical person, but you know, the sarcoidosis can show up anywhere. Have they just, have they ruled out the fact that it might not be in your bladder?
1: No, they have not ruled that out. And it's very difficult to get physicians to look at it from that perspective, does that make sense? Because mm-hmm. I've had that disorder for a long time. So people really um, struggle. I struggle getting somebody to look away from what an obvious um, diagnosis would be. Um, to, but I am no, I am now that, I had to retire last year, December. Um for medical reasons um and i was very lucky to have made it to my 25 years of service so that i could retire those last three years of working i feel like it was torture to be honest um, right was,
0: where, and where were you working generally I was speaking? Working
1: for the office of education for the state of new jersey okay and then i was a part-time therapist for a hospital system here as well right. i've always had two or three jobs i actually used to be a snowplow driver until i got sick as well so, winter yes <laughs> like I was bored. I was like an Energizer bunny before this happened to me. My friends would say that described me. I really didn't sit and watch much TV. I went from the minute my feet hit the ground in the morning and I just went until nighttime. It's just been my lifestyle. I never sat still. I was extremely physical as far as loving to exercise. That's how I coped with life and stress. And that's what made me happy. I, I loved exercise. I loved hiking. And a month before the horseshoe crab incident, you know, I just hiked 12 miles with my friends and we walked our dogs every single day, almost without fail, two and a half miles every day. That was our routine. And then we would take long hikes on the weekend during bike season. You know, I would bike 50 to 70 miles a week. Um, And and I kayaked and some like my longest kayak trip was like 19 miles. It wasn't like paddling around the pond, you know? So I really love, love being physically active. It's just, it's what I do. And it's what heals me from anything. If I'm struggling with anything or just had a rough, stressful week at work or, you know, so this has been a total life change for me. It was, it feels like, sarcoid really took my entire previous existence away and i had to figure out who this new person was going to be so it's been a long journey
0: your story and mine are just so so similar
1: and i've heard so so many pardon me i've heard so many on your podcast that have the same kind of stories So, you know, we were talking about all of these symptoms and then, you know, I'm going into physical activity, but I really feel like if you're now that I've been able to be retired and focus on what's going on with my body more, like I can actually take time before it was just surviving, getting to work, surviving, getting home. So, you know, I didn't feel like I could pay so much attention. But when I start to flare, I'm going to call it a flare, even though some doctors don't want you to, but when my symptoms start to increase, it goes from, I get the fatigue and I go, okay, here we go, you know, and then I start with my airway issues a lot, but then it, it moves into my intestines are in such pain that they're sort to of touch. And then the bladder flares up on top of it. And then, I mean, I just get so down that Sometimes I look at my closet and I just get teary because the thought of having to get dressed is such an exhausting experience. So it sounds dramatic, but it really does impact your life that severely. And unfortunately, I have a lot of those cycles. So, um, you know, I really have to look at that in the near future. But my, I think we spoke before, my doctor at Penn, my primary moved on um, and and left. And I really don't have a primary sarcoid physician right now. So I'm really looking around um, to reestablish a relationship somewhere where I can do that and get started back on some treatment probably.
0: Well, um, people who listen to the podcast know that I'm a huge fan of my care team at the Cleveland Clinic. And uh, I drive seven hours to get to the Cleveland Clinic from my house. Once or twice a year, and of course now with COVID, um, thinking about virtual visits. But um, I cannot say enough good things about those folks. And I don't understand why you're not on at least 60 milligrams of prednisone right now, based based upon not my medical expertise, but just what I hear and what I've experienced when I've had similar feelings to what what you have. It's like it's the devil's tic-tac, right? It, uh, uh-huh. I have so many negative effects of prednisone, but it does seem to take care of the sarcoid issues, at least until you can get it under control. So uh, you can't take it forever because of all the negative long-term side effects, which we've talked about on the, on the podcast, but man, I'll tell you, um, I don't know. Well, I went through a, a phase uh, where I couldn't kayak, bike, run, walk my dog, all the things that you mentioned, hike, yeah. we live here in the mountains of, of the western half of the state of Virginia. And um, I I just want to tell you how much I sympathize with your situation because it's so difficult. What is, what is life like for you day to day now?
1: It really depends on the day. You know, some days I just... Um, I had a week where we were able to get out for a bike ride and, you know, but my bike ride is limited, you know, and slow and I pick my courses. So one of the things that we're now trying to do is, maybe is travel to go to rail to trails for bicycling so that, you know, I have more ability to plan my trip, more ability to measure out the grade that I'm, that I'm biking on and it's a little more controlled. Um so that's what we're trying. I'm trying to modify my life. Now some days like today I wouldn't be able to do that because of my airway um and things like that. So we really never know and that's the hard part. I can go to bed, you know, tonight and say I felt really decent and I'm planning a day tomorrow and I can wake up and go, oh, where's the truck that hit me? You know, I just it's very unpredictable. Um, I don't have long periods of time where I'm not impacted by it right now. So, you know, if I get oh, if I got a week for per se, I'm really excited when I get a week. If I get two weeks, I think like I've been given a big gift. <laughs> and, right. you know, um, I think the longest I've had since I've been diagnosed is two months. I had two months last last spring where I really felt like I had a reprieve, I had a little more energy, my breathing was not bothering me. Um, And then I just run out the door as fast as I can and do as much as I can on my days where I feel better and we fit in um, what we can. And we've significantly changed our lifestyle. We used to travel four or five times a year. We've been all over the world, China, you name it. Um, And We just were very active outdoors and, you know, into New York all the time and just never sat home. And that's changed significantly. You know, I have to really measure out when we're going places and when we're going to take a trip and how that's going to look. Can I take some medicine? Like sometimes I get the doctor to give me medicine before I'm going so that, you know, I will take some Pregnizone during the time that I'm traveling to try to help get through that time. But I can't say that it's anything like it used to be. Um, I've had to, you know, I think you, if you've been so active and so busy in life, um, this slowdown has really been difficult to adjust to. And even though I'm a therapist, last year I decided to see a therapist for myself for about nine months because I was really struggling With accepting that I was sick, to be honest with you, I kept thinking I'm going to beat this. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to get you know. Okay, this one knocked me down, but I'm up again, and I'm going to beat it. And but each time I I looked at it like I failed when I didn't beat it. You see what I mean? So I'd try to start going back to the gym. I'd be to the gym for two weeks, starting to do some weights again, and think, oh, I'm starting to be able to lift a little more. And then I'd get hit again, and I wouldn't be able to go. And then And it just kept doing that for three years. And to be honest, you know, I got pretty depressed and anxious because making plans makes you anxious because you have to cancel the plans. I don't get to see my family regularly because I have to cancel and I'm sick. I was missing, you know, you're missing special events with your grandchildren. It's, you know, it's disheartening. So I've made great progress though because now I can tell you all this without sobbing. So it's like, Oh,
0: wow. I have,
1: uh, I've graduated into accepting that I have this disorder and I needed to look at what I can do in my life. Now, how much of it I can do at certain times, how to get joy out of that level of exercising when All my brain wanted to do was go back to my old level of exercising and learn how to enjoy these good, the good days that I have and spend them wisely because, you know, they're precious and that's what I do.
0: Yeah, so um, a friend of mine who's about five years older than us once told me that when he reached 60, he he felt like in terms of his life, it was the same as the Thursday of your week of vacation at the beach. So it's, it's like, he just felt like, and cause then you start panicking the vacations over. And, uh, and so I've kind of used that, but now you add sarcoidosis mm-hmm. into the mix. What day of the week would you say you feel like it is? So
1: oh, a lot of the days, I think it's Friday. <laughs> it's like, you know, right. I'm like, you know, I just, um, you know, life is sure. And at this age, you do feel, I think, more need to appreciate all of your days. But this disorder really makes me appreciate everything. I mean, right. I appreciate the smallest things now, really you know, um, I I get excited when there's a new bird at my feeder, you know, it's like, I'm just really grateful for my husband is a really huge support system for me. Um, I appreciate that every day. I think I take one day at a time now, and really focus on the small things where I used to run through life a lot. You know, you're speeding ahead. And um, so the slowdown isn't, horrible in some ways, you know, it allows me to focus on the little joys that life brings you and spending your time with family, you appreciate all those moments, you know?
0: Yeah, the little, the little things really do start to uh, stand out and make a difference. And they do. Um, I can remember when I was amped up on prednisone and also seeing a therapist and she asked me, well, how are you feeling? And I said, Oh, you know, I just stood next to my car and listened to the birds in the yard today. Yeah. (laughs) You know, which, uh, you know, I, I've never been a kumbaya moment type of person, (laughs) you know, but and it sounds kind of weird even to to say it out loud. Um, so I, do you see yourself traveling in 2021? Do you have any plans? Do you know what's going to happen?
1: We have plans because we sat down and tried to figure out how I could travel easier because I am I even developed problems going to hotels, to be honest, because a lot of them have um, scents and cleaning things that they've used in the room that bother my airway. And I I've sometimes got to a hotel and had to check out because I can't breathe, you know, so it, oh. it's you know, really been a struggle for us to try to travel. Um, So we did what millions of other people, I guess, are doing. And we actually bought an RV this year. And it allows me to have a self-contained environment where I know what's being cleaned and what's used and don't have to deal with, um, you know, perfumey sprays in the rooms and fabric softener on the sheets and those kinds of things. And it also allows me to... Not be stressed about travel if I'm not feeling well. You know, I can lay on the sofa if I'm in, having pain that day and not necessarily sit in the seat, and it gives me a lot of flexibility. And if I have a bad day, wherever we're landing for a vacation, I can have a couple of bad days and I can, you know, rest in the camper and not feel pressured that I have to even go out to restaurants to eat or something like when I'm staying at a hotel or figure out how to be comfortable you know, I can make the environment a little more pleasant for myself. So that's become our plan. Instead of like uh, our old plans, we're usually traveling out of the country that now we're gonna see more of the US and uh, have our bikes with us so that on a day when I'm feeling good, you know, I can do that bike ride or take a kayak trip or, um, you know, I just do them in smaller degrees and I measure it out and really look at where I'm going. you know, you have bigger concerns. I don't want to be in the middle of a 14 mile kayak trip and in the middle of nowhere. um If my inhaler doesn't work, you know, <laughs> so
0: yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: You know, you you just plan, we're planning differently. And uh that's what we're trying now. So we'll see how that works. We're looking forward to it.
0: That's so amazing. I, I have you and I, uh, maybe I had forgotten, but you know, I also bought an RV this year
1: oh no i don't think you mentioned it
0: okay Uh, mary and i bought we bought a really old one from a friend uh which is it's a like a 1994 mini winnie so but it's 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 kind of a cute rv but it is in pristine condition and we've just went to the state parks a few times last year And instead of like the epic hikes, we would do a three mile hike or something like that. And we would take our bicycles. I've got a bike rack that mounts on the back of it. Um, That is just so funny. All the, all the parallels in our universe. Uh, And we've been riding rail trails because they're flat. The people who are listening is like, why is she riding a rail trail? Because a railroad, a rail trail is what used to be a railroad bed and Trains don't go uphill very well. So they're always flat, no more than I think a 3% incline typically.
1: Most of them. Yeah,
0: most of them. And so you can get on them and you ride your bike. If you want to go 10 miles, you go five miles out and turn around and come back five miles. And, and, and that was your ride. And
1: often a lot of the areas shuttle you. So you can pick where you want to leave from. You get a shuttle, you know, they take you up above where you're going to end and drop you off and you come back to your starting point too. Um, and, And they're beautiful. You know, most of them are very rural and they're gorgeous and they go through long streams and through mountains and it is a great way to go.
0: Yeah. Do you have this sensation that you have to go do it now before you don't have the chance to do it?
1: I, I always had that sensation. I must tell you that I am very lucky because I lived that way. All of my, I kept going, I don't know why, but I need to do it now. I need to do it now. I just My friends would say, how do you travel so much? You're always traveling. I said, I just need to do it. I don't know why, but I, I know I can't wait. I just need to do it now. And I'm grateful that I did because now I feel that way still, But if I hadn't have done all the traveling that I did before, I would have missed out a lot because there are a lot of places that I probably can't travel to now with lung lung issues. So, you know, I'm grateful uh, that I've always had that feeling that life is short and I need to do it now. That's, you know, another part of retiring is that I don't know how long I'll be able to do the things that I can do now. So I really want to get out and do those, you know, as much as I can.
0: Right. And and sarcoidosis probably sped that whole process up by a factor or two.
1: No, it did. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So how much do you mourn the loss of your old life and how much have you come to accept where you are?
1: I was mourning it too much. That's what that was the problem. I really um, was stuck in Nothing was acceptable to me except for getting back to who I was. I wanted to be there. Um, now I'd say over this last year, I've really um, had a handle on that. I feel much better about it. I really feel that I've accepted that this is my new normal, as they call it, you know, and that I just have to work with it. Certainly, I get very frustrated still sometimes just like everybody does. And I have days where, you know, you feel sorry for yourself for a little bit or you're feeling teary and you need to be that way. But then I get right back up again and start again. And, you know, tomorrow's a new day and we're gonna start it over. I think I've made a lot of progress um, now at saying, this is where I am. And I just, I'm trying to focus on one day at a time. How am I today? What can I do today? You know, today I can dog walk and today I can get outside and do some light gardening or, you know, and then see how I am tomorrow. And maybe next week there'll be a bike ride, you know? So
0: when you wake up in the morning, how long does it take you to figure out whether it's going to be a good day or a bad day?
1: Sometimes I know before I even open my eyes, to be honest with you. I have um, I have migraines um, constantly. So and I have vision disruption from neurological stuff. So um, sometimes I see it behind my eyes before I actually open them in the morning and I go, oh, it's not going to be a good day, you know, and I can feel my body hurting that that early in the morning and just go, yeah, this is going to be a challenge. And, you know, other times I can get up and I struggle for a while. It's, it's hard for me with the airway and stuff in the mornings often. So, you know, but after, usually after a half an hour or so, I'll kind of have an idea of whether it's going to work itself out for the day or not.
0: Yeah. Right. And, have you tried dietary considerations, anti-inflammatory foods or anything like that? How, how's that gone?
1: I have right now been on nine weeks of low FODMAP, no dairy and, and interstitial cystitis diet, which knocks out half of the things that you can have on low FODMAPs. So I, I haven't had anything infl- inflammatory in my body in a while. Um, I still, it has helped a little um, with my intestinal distress. It hasn't completely resolved it. That's why they're thinking now that it's probably sarcoid and not necessarily the SIBO that they're thinking it was. Right. Um, so I gotta get me back on track, John. Where were we? Because I just I uh,
0: was well, I was just no just just the the anti-inflammatory diet. Yeah. You just said. It- you said there was something, you used a term that I'm not familiar with.
1: Okay, um, low FODMAP?
0: Yeah, s- say that slower.
1: Low FODMAP. It's F-O-D-M-A-P.
0: Okay, and what is that?
1: That's It's an a, a elimination diet. They take everything out of your diet that is an inflammatory food.
0: Okay. Type. Right. So
1: um, there's a lot of information online about it.
0: Well, I'm on day 10 of uh, elimination diet right now of it. It's a 21 day experience.
1: Okay. It Uh, took me hours to study this, to actually be able to figure out what I could eat and how to make meals. And, you know, those types of things, because it's, it's, it's very complicated, but uh, you know, at this point you're willing to try. (laughs) So.
0: So, yeah, I'm on, I'm on no dairy, no sugar, No grains. Yep. uh, And my dog is barking, so I might have to make an edit here. Uh, She stopped. Um, And (laughs) okay, so I'm on, yeah, no sugar, no dairy, no grains. Basically, I'm eating a lot of vegetables and organic chicken. Right. Right. And that's, and and I'm having smoothies and I'm eating chia seeds and I'm eating hemp hearts. Uh (laughs) And I've got, I've got a coach, which we've actually, I've actually talked about on the podcast, Lindsay Norenberg, uh, whose husband, Ryan is a fellow Sark fighter. And she became a, a nutritionist, a holistic nutritionist. Or, dietitian. I, I use the words interchangeably. I'm sure people in that sector don't, but I, to me, they're the same. And she's been coaching me through this and sending me recipes and so forth, which I'll be happy to share with you.
1: That's great.
0: Yeah. So, how long have you been on this elimination diet?
1: It's been about nine weeks now that mm. I've been
0: on it. So, wow.
1: what I do now is I try to introduce something back in from a category. Um, And you try it in a small quantity day one, a little larger day two, and then day three, you know, and you monitor. And then I do three days of back on the diet and then I'll try something else to see, you know, what might be inflaming me in some way. So
0: what was the first thing you reintroduced? Dairy, Dairy. I really
1: miss an ice cream once in a while now.
0: (laughs) Uh
1: And the dairy does not seem to bother me uh, so far, you know. And then when I go, obviously, I go off of it again, and I'll try something different the next time. Like I've tried milk for three days. And then um, the second time I did try some ice cream, and that seemed to be okay. I haven't tried like yogurts yet, or, you know, some other things.
0: Cheese? Have you tried cheese?
1: Cheese, I, I think I need to keep in real moderation. I can see the difference when I have Too much cheese. Yeah. So I think I, you know, I really um, have to keep that small amounts and that's part of the FODMAP diet. Eventually they want you to be able to have more of the food categories back, but you only eat them in size portions because then over that size portion creates inflammation. So, you know, you can have some variety, but, um, very limited. Like I'm allowed 20 blueberries. Okay. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) A 20. tablespoon of cranberries, you know, anything that's sugary or sweet is very limited amounts. So.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, I can't even have an apple right now.
1: No, I can't either. I haven't even tried the apple part. Yeah. So
0: I never thought I would crave an apple so much.
1: I know. Yeah. I really, I agree with you. That's one of the things I miss are apples. Now I did try the mango back again and that did not work out well for me. So I'm thinking mangoes are not gonna be it but they're on a fructose level, like a frutan. The mangoes and the apples are on a completely different level in the food map. Um, So I can't even remember the category that
0: it's in, but it's in a different category than mangoes, believe it or not. <laughs> so, wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I, uh, I, the sugar part is just killing me. I just, I'm just mm-hmm. still craving sugar, but everybody keeps saying, stay with it. And you'll, the craving will go away. It'll go away. Yeah. Um, but I still want to see if this is something that can help me keep the inflammation out of my body and, and keep me feeling better. Right. So that I can go do the things that you you've been discussing. And and, um, so we'll see. Um, So Um, eggs, that was, I wanted to ask you about eggs. Did you put eggs back in your diet?
1: Eggs seem to be one of the things that I can have that do not cause me any issues for some reason. So I do. I try not to have like eggs every day. I try to, you know, have oatmeal one day and eggs another day, you know, break it up a little bit, but that's pretty much my mainstay to, you know, having eggs with some vegetables.
0: Mm -hmm. Have you ever asked your doctor if uh, he or she thought that this diet would work?
1: Um, I haven't asked my sarcoid doctor that. No, I've only asked the gastroenterologist that. So, and I saw a nutritionist to work on this plan for a while.
0: Okay, all right. Because you know? the doctors have always told me that they, they don't see any connection between. No, and I
1: also yeah. some of the nutritionists and the sarcoid programs and other areas, I've listened to them online, and they don't feel that it has made any impact either. But mm-hmm. anti-inflammatory eating. I mean, can it really be bad, you know what I mean for you maybe it's going to be helpful energy wise or I don't know it's just something to really try to see how it impacts us and when you're feeling really bad a lot of the time you're willing to try a lot of things (laughs) to see if it works, to be honest. Because everybody says, how are you so diligent with this diet? Even the nutritionist is like, you know, not many of my clients are this diligent with it. And I'm like, because I really want to see if it works. I need to know, you know, if, if this is helping or not. So,
0: Don't you put the same energy into the diet that you do in training to get up to a 50 or 60 mile bike ride?
1: Yes. <laughs> I do anyway. It's like, you know, I dedicate myself to it. I focus and, (laughs) and I practice. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. What, what kind of bikes do you take on your RV?
1: Right now we just have Canon crossovers that we take. Um, that's what I switched to. I have had, um, in the beginning, I used to ride a Trek road bike and I had a Trek mountain bike. And then I, my last one that I bought was a Jamis, um, road bike and then when we decided we had to downscale a little bit uh, some of the rail to trails are the crushed concrete or crushed gravel you know right. so
0: we went to Canon crossovers for that With, which which would, for people who are listening now i have no idea about bicycles but that's a a bike that'll has wider tires and it'll go on just about any kind of surface and they're very versatile but not as fast as a bike that you would yeah. typically go out and ride on the road no. So but but they're faster than a, a true mountain bike which is designed to be ridden over rocks and logs and stuff yes so I try to, try to keep that in perspective for, for my uh, non-cycling listeners. But um, was well, there anything else you want to tell us about your journey with SARC? Any advice you'd have for anybody?
1: Oh, um, I think a lot of self-care. You know, we don't do enough. And I know people talk about that. But really, that's, I think, how I've made a lot of the changes over the last year really doing a lot of introspective thinking and self-care giving my, you know, I, when I have really significant pain and sometimes I have it in three organs at once, I get a lot of swollen limbs in my chest. So they're very painful. And um, then with the, you know, cystitis and the um, gastrointestinal and the migraines um, sometimes it's just overwhelming for people. So I started doing a lot of meditation um, for chronic pain. And actually that really got me through periods of time when I was wondering how I was gonna get through those because um, I don't, I can't take pain meds. So I really don't have that option. And the meditation really seemed to help even with severe pain. And you know, I started doing that. I started outlining my day. Like what I wanted to do the next day, if I was feeling, even if I wasn't feeling well, I gave myself goals. Um, you know, who was I going to reach out to? Um, you know, I'd reach out to other people that were through the pandemic stuck at home, say, and people that, you know, what could I do that day if I wasn't feeling well? I um, made a plan so that I wasn't sort of just lost in my own, how I was that day.
0: Um, yeah. Why not just sit down and binge Netflix?
1: And I'm really not good at (laughs) binging Netflix, unfortunately. It it doesn't distract me from not feeling well. And I found that other activities do. So I try to focus on those, you know, keeping in contact with friends, even though, you know, my friend base has completely changed because all of my friends were hikers, kayakers, and bikers. So it's been really difficult to stay close. I do have some friends that I made in that circle that are very kind and keep up with, you know, me all the time. And, uh, but I've really, you know, missed my social circle. I don't have that anymore. So, you know, but it is important for your mental health. So I think self-care and keeping up with your mental health. And really, if you're struggling emotionally, I really recommend seeing a therapist or a counselor to just work through it for a while and, and try, um, to get yourself in a better place.
0: Awesome. Susan Bassey, thank you for joining me here on the Sark Fighter podcast.
1: Thank you, John, for having me. And, um, I'm always excited to see you out biking. And I'm very happy for you when I see those pictures. So good luck and continue. And I love the podcast. I have learned so much from these your podcast. I can't thank you enough for doing this.
0: Great, thank you so much.
1: Bye bye. Like Again,
0: thanks to Susan for sharing her story here on the podcast. Uh, Please send me an email, carlinagency at gmail.com if you have a question. Uh, Please look at all of the show notes that are posted with every podcast on all these different things I talked about today. Don't forget that April is Sarcoidosis Awareness Month. Please follow Sarkfighter. It's The Sarkfighter on Instagram and Sarkfighter on Facebook. Uh, a couple of requests before uh, I go today. Please help me reach more people and grow the show. If you, uh, when you listen, please share the link to the show on your social media. I so much appreciate that. Let let me let me put this effort into reaching more people and grow the effectiveness of, of everything that, that I'm doing here, that the guests are doing, and that the foundation is doing. And if you like this show, please tell just one person. Tell one person in the sarcodosis space, hey, have you checked out the Sarcofighter podcast? It's great to listen to driving to work or when you're sitting around and, and maybe uh, just chillaxing a little bit. Uh, and give the show uh, a nice review on Apple Podcasts if you would. Thanks again today to Susan for joining me here. And I will continue to let you know how I'm progressing with the elimination diet. And by the time I release the next episode, maybe I will have some new pluses and minuses for you. Until next time, keep fighting.